0: What we saw through the pandemic because hospital capacity was so constrained, because skilled nursing facility capacity was so constrained, um, you know, home health all over the board in all of the types of care delivery models has just grown exponentially. And that's um, really been a patient satisfier and a caregiver satisfier.
1: The Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations from Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers and beyond. Learn more at mentormate.com/healthcare. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. This is your host, Frank Chistalki, on another episode of the Medical Alley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a really fun discussion today uh, with an organization that is helping to bring about some pretty significant changes in healthcare and healthcare delivery. I'm so glad to be joined today by Julia Christ, who's the co-founder and COO of Inbound Health. Julia, I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time to be with us today.
0: Thanks for having me, Frank. I'm excited to have this conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe the place we could start is to give a quick intro for our audience of what is Inbound Health? What, what is it that you're doing? And I think very importantly, how did Inbound get started?
0: Yeah, happy to. So Inbound Health is an organization that supports health systems to create, launch, and scale their own hospital at home and step at home programs in a cost-effective and safe way. That's really based off of the experience developed over the past several years at Alina Health. Um, We are bringing all of the services needed to plug into a health system's existing infrastructure and make it possible to launch a program very quickly, Um, in a way that they wouldn't otherwise be able to on their own um, and to have that program functioning as a part of their health system's continuum of care. Inbound had a pretty interesting um, start. It actually started back in in 2019, the concept that originally led to Inbound uh, when Alina Health was exploring hospital at home and SNP at home in service to its population health strategy. And we spent about uh, six months to a year with a really smart team looking across the landscape to learn as much as possible about health systems that have started their own programs, spent a lot of time with uh, vendors at the time, learning about their service offerings, considering how they could uh, fold those into the existing services as part of Align Health. And um, ultimately, what that work led to was a determination that we would need to build our own program in order to provide the services in a cost-effective manner to patients. So at the time uh, we thought that that would be several years down the line, but as we all know, in 2020 COVID hit and gave us a, burning platform to very quickly stand up the home hospital program to create hospital capacity in uh, Alina's hospitals. And so we're able to do that rather quickly and became a really integral part of Alina's hospital system. Um, at one point, the, uh, during a surge, there were 60 patients on census, making it one of the, the larger uh, hospitals in the system. And so we started to hear from a lot of other health systems across the country who were needing to do a similar thing. They, They understood that there was a big uh, value proposition and standing up hospital at home in terms of opening up beds and facilities for those who truly need them and decanting the hospital. Um, and as I was having those conversations with my peers across the country, they started to hear the same things over and over again, which were, this is a really important new concept that can have a big impact on our health system. But ultimately, it's a small program that's really complex we're really worried about doing it safely. We don't have this experience. Right. And we looked at vendors, and for one reason or another, didn't work out too expensive, uh, required a complicated legal structure. And so it became apparent at like conversation 50 that there was an opportunity to support health systems by really consolidating all of the services into a central organization and then. Um, using those services in uh, conjunction with the health system's existing platform to perform all of the things needed to deliver really great care in the home. So that was really where the idea for Inbound came from. Was this you know thought of how can we help health systems build programs on their own, launch them, scale them effectively, right. safely, but in a you know cost-effective way?
1: I, I guess say that there's like. There's so much interesting stuff in there to unpack, but the I think the piece that I really gravitate towards is this idea of you all had identified a need within the health system, went out trying to figure out if you could do it with someone else or if there was a partner, built the capability and determined there was need with others as well for a a hospital-based, a hospital-affiliated or health system-affiliated type of offering and brought that to the market. like such an innovative approach. And when I think of so many different companies that have come into healthcare and didn't have that empathy and understanding of the health systems, you all being able to bring this technology platform, the service platform, and have that empathy and understanding, I think is, is so impactful. So just kudos to doing that work.
0: Thanks, Frank. And really, it's, I think it's a testament to the types of people that work in health systems and how health systems work together in service of their communities. You know, Uh, I think there's always been a large degree of sharing from health systems, you know, to health system across the country, Um, maybe not in a particular geography where there's competition, but in, in general, there's such great support and sharing of learning Um, And it really came from one of my very close colleagues who worked in another health system in a very different geography. She and I were talking about how expensive it is to have a specialty program like hospital at home. And we started to brainstorm together, you know, are there ways that we can work together to create almost a co-op model that would help other health systems get what they need um, and also, you know, empower them at the same time to get the financial benefit right um and so it, it really comes from i think health systems spirit of sharing especially during the pandemic when yeah. it really was all hands on deck open sharing we need to be able to talk together and share best practice and our learning so that it can spread as fast as possible indeed so it's, it, out, inbound is definitely a, a product of of that spirit and intention
1: well, you know, and during the pandemic, it, it certainly, I think, makes very obvious sense why this was necessary. You know, I, I won't say post-pandemic, but in whatever we're world in now, um, <laughs> why is it that the home care, hospital at home, sniff at home, what, what's the implication of that? Why is it beneficial to the health system, to the patient, to society? Like, what's the drive to get more hospital at home and sniff at home?
0: I think there are a few drivers, um, maybe most importantly, is a consumer driver. Before the pandemic, there has been a lot of home care. And of course, we know if we go back in history, that's where care has been delivered. Right. And it's effectively delivered in the home environment. Um, and then it, it transitioned in the facilities. But prior to the pandemic, I think there was, a, uh, um, you know, there have been gaps in being able to bring care into the home for a number of reasons. Reimbursement obviously is huge and really drives a lot of the decision-making, but there's also been uh, just a understanding that patients like to go into facilities, they, you know, like that is the most effective and efficient place for somebody to be cared for. And so that just has became, become our standard. But what we saw through the pandemic, because hospital capacity was so constrained, because skilled nursing facility capacity was so constrained, um you know home health all over the board in all of the types of care delivery models has just grown exponentially and that's um really been a patient satisfier yeah. and a caregiver satisfier i'm a caregiver myself and you know when i have the option of having my parent in the hospital mm. and going there to see them and make plans or having the hospital come to me, you know, them and our home, it's so much easier from right. the caregiver perspective. So that's a huge part of that driver. Another, um, you know, is the issue that's really plaguing health systems across the country around staffing. Right. Like mm. There is, I think, a very understandable, and there has been an exodus of healthcare workers. The last several years have been extremely taxing and emotionally so mm-hmm. difficult lots of moral injury that happened through the past several years. And so we're seeing folks, especially who are nearing the end of their career leaving. And, and so that leaves a pretty big deficit and it's forcing innovation for things like, you know, telehealth and uh, really making the most of the team members who are still in the industry uh, enabling them through technology and home visits. Actually, it's, it's very interesting because it creates more capacity. If you, Start to leverage technology in that. Right. Um, so that's another, you know, it's, it's forced because of the shortage of team members. Um, and then lastly, I think that when, when you talk specifically about hospital at home and sniff at home, another driver is, you know, one of the most important things that uh really drives all change, which is reimbursement. Mm. Uh CMS is sending a pretty strong signal that when you know, 2024, they extended the the CMS hospital at home waiver, acute, right, in the home waiver through the end of 2024, and uh, that's a pretty strong indication that they are seeing good evidence that the program is effective, that it works, that patients are open to it, that they accept it, um, and that it it likely will be a permanent part of how we provide care in this country.
1: Want to get your company's message in front of hundreds of healthcare professionals consider a sponsorship or advertising opportunity through Medical Alley. Sponsorships are still available for our upcoming Alley Chats networking event, as well as our Equity in the Alley Women to Watch, featuring Kate Stewart of Stryker. And your message could even be heard right here on the Medical Alley podcast. To learn more about available opportunities, go to medicalalley.org slash prospectus, or reach out to anyone on the Medical Alley team.
0: Maybe I'll just add one last, one last yeah, thought, Frank. Right? It's just so fascinating to me. Um, so much of my career has been dedicated to serving seniors and planning mm-hmm. for the, you know, the silver tsunami that comes with the baby boom generation. Um, and it's it's an interesting place to be as part of the health system, thinking about the future strategy. Um, you know, in order to meet the needs of all of those seniors who are going to be a bolus effect, essentially. right? Hospitals have to make a decision about, you know, do they build out their physical assets to create that capacity? Um, and if that is the plan, the cost is about $2 million per bed on average, Wow, which is an incredible cost. Um, and And so if you think about building that out to accommodate the senior population, there's, uh, you know, what happens 10 years down the road when you start to see that population decline um, oh, and you have a right. bunch of empty beds? It's a really expensive proposition and it's not what patients want. Um, it's not what families want. They want to stay at home in general. So this is such a nice alternative, just thinking about that long-term planning from a health system perspective you can save, you know, needing to build physical beds. Um, you can expand your virtual beds and still meet the community's needs in a way that better uh, aligns with what a patient and family are asking for. Uh, and ultimately it's, you know, a way that can uh, reduce the the overall costs, which is a benefit to that community overall.
1: Oh, that is, that is fascinating. And I gotta say that the almost alignment of stars between, you know, the reimbursement side, the silver tsunami uh, a better potential experience for the patient and their caregivers in the labor shortages i mean it, it seems like you all are are coming up at the right time I, i'm curious particularly on that policy piece you had mentioned uh, the reimbursement being extended are there other you know barriers to further expansion of home care that you all are observing or working on you know potentially state or federal policy or other issues that you know, as we as a community think about how we accelerate this transformation um, should be addressed?
0: Yeah. You know, I think uh, there are a few things. I mean, I think there's a lot of unknowns that make it, yeah. um, you know, a bit of a gamble to invest in this area. Uh, it's unclear what the kind of, you know, credentialing and all of the compliance um, regulatory components are going to look like in the future. So it is, you um, it's hard to make decisions about where to invest if you, if you have a high degree of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's certainly a lot of, of work to be done in that area. And I would say that that is a current barrier. It's also, you know, staffing is also an issue for Mm -hmm. this level of care, although I'll say it's less of an issue. Um, We have had great retention of the team members who are part of inbound providing care, either in person or virtually, Um, The nurses are incredibly satisfied with the work. Um, You know, it's a different, it's a different speed. It's still an acute patient who's qualifying for an inpatient stay or qualifying for a skilled nursing facility stay. The environment is different. It's, you know, very much one-on-one with the patient and the care and the uh, provider, clinician, and then the family members if they're there. So it is, it's a different feeling, different working environment, very, very collaborative patient focused. Um, and then you have this, you know, kind of nice drive time in between to just decompress yeah. a bit. So it's a great alternative that um, you know, I think folks who are wanting to stay in the industry but are looking to switch speeds and kind of switch styles um, offers them. In terms of barriers to to shifting care into the home, you know, the, it really is so much around the reimbursement. Yeah it's a hard thing to make a case for shifting care into the home with the current reimbursement rates.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And there's so much room. If you look at what a typical hospital visit costs for a payer for CMS and what the cost to deliver the care in the home is, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way in this industry to allow health systems to still stay whole. Right. We can't just continue to cut, cut, cut it. And I, I worry about what kind of rates will be determined for, you know, hospital at home and sniff at home in the future, because it it could make or break the shift. Right. Um, and it all has to, it all comes down to if the health system is going to benefit or not um, financially, if it's in their best interest, because we won't get adoption if if they aren't included in that equation.
1: Yeah. And that I think that right there is is such a crux of the issue. And we we've heard that from so many organizations. We know healthcare is going through a, a transition and a transformation to new models of care. And that's gonna need change in regulation, change in payment, but we're still going to have a need for hospitals, for emergency rooms, for the the care systems. And how we make that transition—that seems to be where we all have have struggled. We we know where we want to end up, more or less, but how we get from here to there had, has been a messy ride already, and likely to be a bit messy uh, going forward.
0: I agree with that. I don't see a clear path to yeah, <laughs> a clear, easy path. Um, but that you know, that of course is a challenge. Good work to know. be
1: done <laughs> by us all.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, I, I want to shift just a little bit. Something we we get a chance to talk with a lot of people about is making the transition in their role. And we haven't talked about you yet. And I'd be really curious, could you tell the audience just a little bit about your background? And then what has it been like going from, you know, a large health system into a, a brand new startup, where you're, you're building it roughly from the ground up? How how has that transition been?
0: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Frank has been fun. Um, so my background: I've been in healthcare for about 19 years now, most of that in the leadership space in home care uh, capacities. I've been in for-profit and not-for-profit companies. Spent some time working internationally, but almost always focused on uh, you know improving an operation to perform better, to scale, and building launching, testing, scaling new programs, particularly those that perform well under risk for seniors. And just, you know, before I share what the transition has been like, I think it's probably pertinent to share my, my own purpose in work mm, has been really indeed. the driver behind everything I do. So, um, you know, as I think about any new career transition, there are always, uh, you know, kind of four things that have to be true. One is, I need to be working on something that makes care more affordable for patients. Um, that's a primary driver for me. Second, ease of access. That is a huge passion because it's so confusing to access care. I can't tell you how many times I get emails from people in the system asking right. me for help navigating the system. If that's the case for experts, you know, an uh, average person has no chance. Um, The third is that I need to be serving underprivileged populations or those that are typically underserved. Uh, A lot of my career that has meant seniors. And then lastly, I need to be making an impact on my own community. I'm a native Minnesotan. I love to travel, spend time in other places, but I realized it is really important to me that anything I do makes a difference in the community that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's always my, my kind of True North, what I'm aiming towards, and it was because I have that clarity. It was it was a relatively easy switch to move from working in a large health system to a startup. Now, it definitely made it easier. The startup was uh, born out of the health system right. and still has such a strong connection to that health system and all of the people. So, I feel very lucky to have um, you know all the wonderful uh, team members still. Are very much part of my working life. And, and, you know, it, moving into this new startup with Inbound, having the chance to just move so much more quickly than, you know, you'd be able to do in a large organization that requires just a lot of socialization and understanding and time spent together to, you know, form a strategy, move that forward. We're able to move much more quickly as part of a, a startup. And of course, the infusion of cash is amazing because. We can build the platform, the tech platform that right. enables the care providers to do their best work. You know, there's not all of the barriers that come with you know asking for capital to create a new program or build. There's no way we would be able to build as part of a health system, a custom made tech platform for a program that, you know, has like 30 doctors in it. It just right. wouldn't happen. And so it's, it's very freeing to be able to have access to that sort of capital to build out all of the things that are needed to make it much easier for all of the physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, therapists, community paramedics, you know, everybody who's providing care in this program for them to just focus on the patient. So that has been really fun, but I will say, you know, I, I feel very driven by serving health systems. And uh, one of the things I really like about inbound is, you know, we are built by a health system for right. other health systems, and so all of our uh, customer conversations are with health systems. And so, very much still able to um, scratch that itch of, you know, serving communities and ensuring that health systems as an ecosystem stay healthy. Uh, financially, and can offer you know as many services as possible to their communities.
1: Indeed, and and thank you for sharing the values part. I gotta say, like that's the part of this industry that keeps me motivated. That pretty much everyone working here is doing the work they're doing for a really good reason, and it. It has driven an entire community to organize around improving the health of people everywhere on earth. So I'd, I appreciate you sharing that. And also got to give a shout out to Flare Capital, who I know is one of the investors, fantastic organization, great backers of this community, and so excited to see how they're going to continue to partner with the work that you're doing.
0: Oh yeah, none of this would be possible without Flair. They're such awesome uh, investors in a venture capital group. You know, it has always been about doing the right thing for patients mm-hmm. uh, with Flair, and they have such smart team members who are really passionate about enabling uh, really great, innovative care models that serve patients. So, just feel a huge amount of alignment with with flair and what they're trying to do and, um, how they're enabling, uh, entrepreneurs like myself and our other team members to be successful in this space. It's just, it's truly a gift to work with them.
1: Indeed. And last thing I'll ask you, you know, we've got a great group of people that'll be listening to this. Some are in startups, some are in big companies, but all creative people, uh, anything you'd want to tell them as far as like, Hey, if someone could get to work on this problem, that would be really helpful, whether it's a policy thing, a business thing, or something that if someone else built it, it would enable inbound to move faster.
0: Oh, that's such a fun question. Um,
1: Yeah, put the people to work, right? (laughs)
0: I've got a list of needs where we're looking for <laughs> <to> partners that <laughs> there are great solutions for. Um, so, you know, supply chain is such a really important part of the care model mm. that we are operating. And to provide acute care, skilled nursing facility, you know, uh, avoidance care, you need to be able to very quickly get the tools, people, products, Um into a patient's home and most companies are not set up to react to the time constraints that we're operating under Oh so there's huge space especially in uh, you know the biggest gap that we feel acutely is in remote in-home imaging So there are some vendors out there that operate in the space. Um, but it really is, I think, such an open area for expanding. Um, you know, there are ways to do that efficiently with remote staff and also like, you know, just a huge unclaimed market, especially with all of the shifting into the home. Um, so that's a acute need, but also ability to do lab draws and very quick lab processing is another area where we pretty consistently run into issues. Um, And then community paramedics, there are some really great community paramedic uh, practices out there that you can tap into for support, but growing that network, growing the number of individuals that are out and about and able to very quickly respond to calls and who focus on keeping the patient in the home instead of escalating them into a, um, you know, facility. That's another area that is just, I think, ripe for innovation and expansion, given all the shifts that are happening into the home.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate that. There's always someone listening who might be working on that very thing or knows someone who is. So helping to just get information out of needs in the ecosystem, it it helps to make everything a little bit easier. Love that. Well, and uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Julia, thank you so much for sharing the story of Inbound Health.
0: You're welcome. I'm so honored to be asked. And Frank, it's been fun spending the half hour with you.
1: Indeed. Ditto. And folks, that's been another episode of the Medical Alley Podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure to get on to medicalalleypodcast.org, or you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, would you do me one favor? Would you share this episode with just one other person, If everyone listening did that, you'd help spread this story and the stories of so many other amazing innovators in the Medical Alley community. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, have a great day.